August 3rd, 2020. Welcome on the ride, overtimers. You know, when you sit down and have a conversation with somebody like Andy Candy from Crown Candy, I'm always a little focused on not just repeating the stories we've already heard. Do we talk about BLTs? Of course we do. But did you know why they named the restaurant Crown Candy? Do you know what national chain tried to partner with Crown Candy? How about the time Andy beat cancer? And by the way, Andy could not have been nicer. Blues lost a tough one tonight. I don't think the refs got the memo this was playoff hockey. Now we hold our breath on positive tests between today and the next game on Thursday. State elections are tomorrow. If you're looking for some perspective, go check out Ray Hartman's episode a couple weeks back on OT. Fast forward to the last 10 minutes or so. If you're going to cast your vote, be patient. It's going to take a while. Bring a book and a mask. Three things you should if you have not. Watch a live baseball game. Might not have the opportunity to do that much longer this season. On that kind of a note, hit a steak and shake before they're gone. There are still two open in South County, and I had a gift card burning a hole in my pocket, so we got our fix recently. Look, I grew up on steak and shakes before the horrible service and the hour-long drive throughs The chili in the cans you can get at a grocery store, yeah, that's close enough. But those frozen Frisco melts and doubles they were trying to pass off? Not even close. This time next year, my guess is Shake Shack will be your option, and there could be worse things. Lastly, if you have not had a BLT at Crown Candy, you gotta fix that yesterday. 14 pieces per give or take. I mean, make the trip. Save some room for dessert. Andy's favorite sandwich is not the BLT. Want to know what it is? Come on down, Andy Candy. Go to Overtime. Overtime with Oliver, with my dad. Tell your friends. And welcome to another edition of OT with Oliver. This one, we got a good one. Going to talk to, I'm going to pronounce it correctly, Andy Karansif. You get it right? You got it right, sir. Very good. We're rocking and we're rolling. Head bottle washer, chief cook at the iconic Crown Candy. Nice to meet you, man. A pleasure to meet you. Thanks for doing this. So one of the things I like when I talk to, you know, Emos or Ted Drews or Tony's is, you know, you've been a part of St. Louis for more than 100 years. Here's what you've got over all of them. You're located on St. Louis Avenue. Yeah, we've been down here on the corner of 14th and St. Louis Avenue for 107 years. My grandfather, Harry, opened a place in 1913. And, you know, I take it for granted some days. I come to work and I've been doing this for 43 years of my life. I've been on this earth for 56 years. So I've always been around the business in one way or another. And sometimes, like I said, I take it for granted. And other times I come in and I realize that there's a lot of people that count on me, whether it's my employees are my customers to make sure that every day we open our doors and we deliver the product that we, you know, promise people. Your granddad opened it up in 1913. He was from Northern Greece. Your mom or grandmom was from Sicily, but they met in St. Louis, correct? Correct. Yeah. My, my grandfather came over from Greece in the turn of the century, learned the language, worked a bunch of odd jobs, uh, saved up the money, bought the business. He already had confectionery skills. So he, um, he learned the ice cream part of it, and then in the 20s, added the food part of it. And then he ran until my dad got out of the Army, and uh, he took it over in 1951. And then my father ran it until 1991, when my brothers and I took it over. And now here I am, you know, in 2020, and I'm, you know, with the help from uh, my wife and 
a few other people, you know, we're still sailing along, thank God, you know, that we're still here. You know, thanks to stupid movies like Big Big Wedding, that kind of the stuff, you hear about the Greeks very much loving that they came up or originated all the words and all the things that people know about today. Did you grow up in that kind of a household? You know, not really. I mean, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have a really ethnic household. You know, we weren't heavily Italian. We weren't heavily Greek influenced. I mean, we were, I mean, in my words, we were a pretty American uh, family. You know, I mean, other than the fact my father worked six days a week, 13 hours a day, so I didn't see him a whole lot. Um, no, we, we, everybody spoke English. Um, I, I regret not paying attention to my father when he was speaking Greek to his friends in the back room when I was working back with them making chocolate. So no, I didn't have that big influence. I mean, you know, we just, I mean, grew up American, you know, you know, there wasn't no, you know, influences from the old country. When you look at the menu with your background, how come no baklava? <laughs> you know, once again, this was, my grandpa did not want to be pigeonholed as a ethnic restaurant. That's why he picked Crown Candy for the name because it wasn't, a Greek name, it, 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 you know, because some people tended to stay away from, you know, back in the day, you know, you know, the, the Greeks might not have liked the Italians, or the Italians didn't like the Greeks, or the Irish didn't like the Germans, or, you know, you know, back in the day, the, people were kind of localized to their neighborhoods. And my dad or my grandpa was a Greek immigrant in a predominantly German and Polish with a sprinkling of Italian neighborhood. So, you know, he was kind of, he wasn't, part of the community per se just instantly he had to earn that and he did but yeah no it was always pretty well pretty approachable simple food that didn't take a lot of preparation you know we never had hamburgers and french fries because back in the good old days it used to be me and one waitress working because it was you know wasn't very busy and that waitress would also cook the food so she had to be able to put stuff on a toaster or drop stuff on a steam table and not have to worry about it burning or catching on fire or overcooking or whatever you want to do. So the menu's always been pretty, you know, easy to manage for us. Plus, we also have a very small kitchen, so no, no baklava, no, no, you know, all that moussaka, uh, no spaghetti and meatballs, nothing like that. It was always a really American menu. In researching for this episode, I didn't know this at the time, but I've heard you talk about the fact that there were like Greek candy stores all over the place in the 20s and 30s. Oh, yeah, they were they were everywhere. I mean, I don't know what it was, like, you know, Greeks and confectionaries, you know, and Greeks and diners, but that was the thing. You know, I guess it was just what people brought, you know, over from the old country. You know, there was Mavrakos, there was uh, Caracas candy, there was, uh, you know, there was a lot of different Greek candy stores. And, you know, thankfully, you know, we were in the right place. St. Louis Avenue is the main thoroughfare. So we had a lot of traffic um, and we, you know, we stood up to the test of time. You know, we survived while a lot of those places closed up. And my father had the good uh, foresight to uh, buy up the old candy molds. So we have a, quite a collection of old Easter molds and, and Christmas molds that a lot of places you don't see because these molds are so rare. You know, they're 100, 120 years old now, um, but we, we do have them in our possession. So we were fortunate. You talk about the molds. I read that your folks acquired those molds in a lot of garage sales. My father was a collector. 
he collected Coca-Cola stuff as you would walk in and see Coca-Cola trays and Coca-Cola advertising all over Crown Candy. He also collected, you know, old drugstore soda fountain stuff. He, you know, my in my youth, we would on his day off, we would get in the in the uh, International Scout and we would drive to Southern Illinois and we wind up in some of these small towns and some of these little bitty antique stores or estate sales. And my dad would be looking for, you know, the candy molds, Coca-Cola stuff, um, the soda fountain stuff in general. Um, so we have quite a bit of that collection, you know, out front, back in the back room, at my mother's house, in the basement. It's everywhere. So, uh, you know, that was my, my father's passion. Not mine, but, you know, it's part of our business and it will always be on the wall. So we will always have all that stuff up. So in Crown Candy, is there a mold that a young Andy found and picked out? No, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm the one, we picked out new molds, unfortunately, because they're made out of plastic. They don't make them out of metal no more. So yes, you know, some of that stuff, yes, that was, that was my doing. But the, uh, the, the, the old time stuff, that was all my dad. And your mom's name was Bessie? Yeah, it still is Bessie. She's uh, 91 years old. She doesn't work anymore, but um, she is still in fairly good health, um, you know, and, and so she's still she's going strong, you know, so we're l lucky there to still have her. Where'd you go to high school? Rosary High School, North County. Play soccer? Oh, no, I played football. I wasn't chasing that ball all over the field. I was too lazy for that. We, we were all, all 18 or 19 of us played uh, football for four years. We didn't have a big uh, crew, but we had a lot of fun. I've had friends whose parents owned restaurants, and they were like the go-to place for sleepovers, after proms. Did you have the benefit of being the cool guy who, who had the, the great place to go to after everything was done? We were one of those hub party houses, absolutely. Uh, there was, you know, three or four of us, and, you know, every weekend it kind of rotated through who was having the party. So, yeah, there were we hosted quite a few uh, high school parties. After high school, you gave college a short try over at Flow Valley, and it just wasn't for you? Nope. Uh, six months of uh, going to Flow Valley, realized that this wasn't for me. I can take the easier way out and just go to work at uh, the family business and make pretty good money and, you know, things would be great. And I, you know, it, it's been a, it's been a lovely, crazy, insane ride. But I look back at it now and I think, wow, I thought I was taking the easier way out, you know, and, you know, in between I'm working six days a week, 13, 14 hour days, getting the, you know, what beat out of me some days, which is great. But, uh, uh, it's been quite an adventure. I mean, I, I can see the appeal. You get your own place. You're kind of not around like in an apartment complex. You're not around a whole bunch of people. So you're really master of your own domain. What was it like to be Andy 21 and single in his own little world? <laughs> a lot of late nights, a lot, of, a lot of getting home when the sun was coming up and realizing that I had to go to work in three hours. You know, a lot of getting off of work and driving right downtown or driving across the river to the Oz. We hung out at the Oz an awful lot. I learned early on that a little chocolate or ice cream goes a long way when you, you know, you frequent establishments and they take good care of you. So I took good care of them. So, but that life was, uh, it was fun. It was crazy. But uh, I'd say about 25, I kind of had a, the first epiphany that I really kind of get my head out my, you know what, and uh, 
pare down and do a little bit more work. Uh, so that was that was the first uh, turning point. Twenty five. Because how old are you? I'm fifty one. You're fifty six. All right. So two things I know about maybe we have in common: McGurks, and then after one o'clock, Maggie O'Brien's. You know what? I was I wasn't a McGurks guy. Um, I I really wasn't. I was a I was an East Side guy when I you know I mean it was it was Yaz it was Pops. Um, we didn't do a whole lot of bars, you know. We did Mike Tillanes on the landing, uh, Lucius Boomers down there, Muddy Waters, uh, a lot of concerts at Mississippi Nights. Yeah, I, I wasn't a huge uh, bar guy um, in the sense of uh, it just I did it a lot when I was younger. Then I got it out of my system, and I just didn't do it a lot as I got older. I kind of kind of mellowed out. Now you move back. You're above the restaurant. I got some relatives, you know, I told them that we'd be sitting down and having a conversation. And they were asking me if you had a gym above the restaurant, which I had never heard of, but they wanted me to make sure that I asked you, did you have a gym above the restaurant? No, there's all apartments. These were all, these were all apartments. They were all cold, all cold water flats back in the day, turn of the century. And my father said that when he was little, Greek immigrants, would come to St. Louis and through whatever connections, and they would wind up living in the apartments above Crowns. And my grandpa would rent them a room, and you know you could have eight or ten Greek guys living down here at any given time, and they would find them jobs. They would help them learn the language, and once they got on their feet, they would they'd move out and they get their own place. And it kind of was a rotation for a while there. You know, my my. Parents lived up here. My grandfather lived up here. My uncle lived up here. Uh, so there's always been a member of the family living above crowns in one way or another in one of the apartments. So, but no gym. It's just a lot of apartments, and uh, and we're in one of those apartments now. And I love living down here. And you know, this is where we're going to be. How did you meet Sherry? Um, I was just ending one uh, phase of my life. And uh, I had a friend who lived out in New Melly on a, a, in a Callaway Valley. They had a big lake out there. So he would, we'd go out on his pontoon boat and hang out. And um, I knew her parents before I knew her. And my, my buddy said that, hey, I've got a friend who's uh, recently single. And Sherry's mom said, I have a daughter who is single. And it was a blatant uh, blind date hookup on two pontoon boats. You know, we, we met out in the middle of the lake and I saw her. and. She saw me, and the next thing you know, we were on the lake till four o'clock in the morning, talking about you know who we are, where we came from. She grew up in Spanish Lake, you know, right across the highway from me. She's seven years younger than me, but uh, um, she used to come down here. Her dad would bring her down. Her grandma used to live in the neighborhood, would come in and get banana splits. So there was a lot of uh, overlap, uh, you know, with, with our history. So, you know, we, we met and uh, I was at the point of my life where I thought I'm never, ever going to get married again. And uh, we've been married 15 years. We've been together 19 years. And she saved my life every single day, you know, especially now in this crazy world of ours. How did you propose? We, I proposed in Las Vegas oh. under the Eiffel Tower at the Paris Hotel. Nice. Um, we were actually at a hot craps table, and 
I told her we have to go because we're meeting some friends of ours at the Bonami, La, Bonami uh, bar uh, underneath the Eiffel Tower. And uh, she's like, but the table's hot. We're winning money. I said, we got to go. I got, we got something to do. And so we got over there and had a cocktail and I was making a toast. And you know, I said, the only thing that would make this trip anything better was, and she said, win more money. And then I said, <laughs> and that's pretty much when time stopped for both of us. Um, got down on one knee, proposed to her and, you know, the whole restaurant clapped and, uh, you know, the rest is history. We, uh, we figured out a date. We had the smash band play at our wedding. I had, uh, I was inviting people to our wedding the day before we got married on Saturday. I was inviting people, customers like, Hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Want to come to our wedding? So, you know, we had 350, 400 people at our wedding. We had tons of food and danced the whole night and left there, went to casino and shot crafts until four o'clock in the morning. Went home, cleaned up, got on a plane, and flew to Mexico for our honeymoon. Very nice. That's strong. Oh yeah, it was it was one heck of a party. Do you guys have any kids? No kids. Nope. We love we love our nieces and nephews, but no desire to have any of our own. So as we move forward a little bit, you talk about buying the restaurant from your dad with your brothers, uh, circa 1999, right? Uh, 91. We bought the business. We took over and we ran it. Um, my oldest brother, Mike, my brother, Tom, and myself. My brother, Mike, passed away in 2012 with stomach cancer. So that, that's kind of a, you know, a, a huge void, you know, as far as, um, you know, somebody there to lean on and somebody there to count on for me. Um, and at that time, Sherry was working for Build-A-Bear and she was kind of, at the end of her rope with corporate America, she just needed a change, you know? So I said, quit your job, come to work at crowns. We'll figure it out. You know, you can, you can do this or do that and, and, and we'll, we'll make it work. Well, like I said, she saved my life because she came in and she has a computer and knows how to use it. So she does all of her, uh, you know, accounts payable and does all of our, you know, tax stuff and all of our, you know, filings for the state and the city and all that. And she runs the website now and does all the shipping for that. Um, plus there's not a job at Crown she can't do. Um, for the most part, she learned how to cook. She's, you know, she works register. She, you know, she, you know, she'll help me make candy. You know, she just, she just is wherever she needs to be. So, you know, I'm fortunate that she jumped in and, you know, we work together every day and, you know, there's days when we don't really see each other. So we don't really, you know, have that head butting that happens with some people that work together. But, uh, yeah, she's, uh, she's a huge part of why we're still here and still successful. On your Twitter account, it says cancer survivor. Did you have cancer? Me and Lance Armstrong have something in common and I don't ride bikes and I've never dated Cheryl Crow and I've never taken uh, PEDs, uh, testicular cancer, uh, had that uh, back in 2007, I think, uh, 2008, somewhere there, and got diagnosed on a Saturday night, uh, had the surgery to have uh, the right one removed on Monday, and the doctor was a young gentleman who I thought was about 12, but he turned out to be an absolute great guy, um, and we had actual tickets to the Super Bowl that year. It was the Bears and the Colts. And it was the week before Super Bowl. And I pretty much said, Doc, I got tickets to the Super Bowl. Can I still go? Even after the surgery, he says, well, who are you rooting for? And I had to take a hard look at him. I said, <laughs> the Bears. He said, yep, you can go still. So 
Um, that was a little bit of a craziness in our lives, but that's, you know, I'm 12 years cancer free now. So I'm fortunate there, you know, and just, you just take life as it comes at you and you deal with it. So Doogie Hauser hooked you up. Yep. Uh, Dr. Delapaz did a great job and he's very good at hounding me to make sure that I come in and see him and, you know, not forget that I still need to take care of myself. Uh, sorry to hear about your brother. Obviously, when you're looking at a family restaurant as iconic as Crown Candy, there's so many stories and so many personal stories that people have. Go ahead and brag on yourself for a second. What's the best you made a different story that you can tell me? You know, I don't have any of these huge, oh my God, stories. You know what I have is I can be having the worst day. I can be crabby because of employees. I can be crabby because business is slow. I can be crabby because, you know, my customers are making me crazy. But all it takes is somebody to take, stop it and while I'm working back there and say, you know what, thank you so much for still being on this corner and still doing what you do for, you know, this community. And that makes it all worthwhile right there. That is by far, you know, what makes me feel like what I do is important. You know, um, like I said, I have the ability to take this for granted, come to work and just like, okay, I'm going to work. You know, it's 107 years. Okay, whatever. I'm going to go scoop ice cream. We're going to sell bacon. You know, we're going to do whatever. One of those epiphanies is of how special this place is was Christmas Day of 1983. We had a fire. That day, it was probably 30 below with the wind chill. So we got down here early in the morning, you know, let's call it seven, eight o'clock in the morning. And, you know, the fire was out. The fire department did a great job of not destroying the business as they were trying to put the fire out. They, they were very careful. You know, thankfully they were, Doc said they did a great job. By 10 o'clock, word had spread over like Camelwax and some news stations and whatever. 50 people must have showed up on Christmas Day to help us clean up that business. My father's friends, my brother's friends, my friends, teachers from my high school. And I, I thought, wow, this is a pretty big deal that people show up on Christmas Day to help us you know, deal with our troubles. So that was probably one of the biggest moments for me is like, wow, this is uh, we're important to them and they're really important to us. So yeah, I, I don't, I just try to be here every day for these people because, you know, there's not a lot in our St. Louis city that people can hang their hats on. And I'd like to think, you know, that, you know, we're here for them and, and they've been here for us, especially now I've, I've noticed how much the neighborhood has turned out to support us because they're the same people that see these lines that are, 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and 20 minutes long. And they're like, I want to wait in that long line. You know, it's, and they'll get it to go. But now they're the same people that are sitting down with their families and I get to see them. I actually get to talk to them instead of just grunt at them as I'm trying to scoop, you know, ice cream as fast as I can. So it's just that everyday thing, you know, just knowing that every day, you know, we make people happy. Can't remember when it was. I'm gonna guess late '80s. There was a chain in town called Swenson's that was kind of an ice cream hamburger kind of a place. Uh -huh. When they left town, did you ever look into maybe acquiring those locations because they were set up kind of like in your in your lane? Well, they actually took a run at my dad uh, when they when their sink uh, their ship was sinking. 
uh, they they took a run at my dad. We're looking to maybe change the name of the Swensons to Crown Candy to uh, you know and give us one of the one of their locations as like you know part of the deal and you know and they were going to do that and and my dad is always said that uh, this is where we belong. We don't belong anywhere else. And my dad always was a little bit leery of people that were come bearing gifts. So he had them, had them checked out and, and my dad's lawyer said, no, these guys are sinking fast. You don't want to get in that boat with them. So, you know, we, we've never, we've never considered a second location and we've been approached anywhere from St. Charles to Troy, Illinois, to, you know, Frontenac to, you know, uh, Brentwood, Ballpark Village. Um, everybody's taken a run at us over the years. And it's like, you know what, this is, I've got enough headaches and enough work right here on this corner. I don't need any more, uh, you know, more is not better all the time. I'm totally comfortable with my little corner of the world and just managing it. I know what I do. I do it well, and that's just how it's going to be. We're not going to, you know, people even now are saying, you need to move. It's getting too bad in the city. I'm like, no, I don't. You know, these people count on me, and I count on them, and this is our home. My father said that, and I'll say that. This is our home. We're not going anywhere. So let's talk about the bacon sandwich. How does one throw in a whole bunch of bacon in a kettle and, and say this is going to be okay? Well, you know, at one point we were frying it up in skillets on the stove. And as the sandwich got more and more popular, and I blame my cooks for that because they just kept putting more and more bacon on there, and it just kind of took on a life of its own, I realized that we can't keep frying bacon like this. It's just, just can't do it. So we have this candy stove that's, you know, 100 years old that we had copper kettles, we make the hot fudge, the chocolate syrup, the butterscotch, you know, we used to make taffies in there and stuff like that. I thought, well, maybe if I filled this up with some oil and we cook bacon in there. And it worked, but copper kettles were probably not the best uh, way to cook. So we found some like 60 quart, like stock pots. And we figured out that if you put a, a, like a screen at the bottom of it to keep it from touching the, the actual direct heat, you can throw about 15 pounds of bacon into a boiling pot of oil, and it takes about 20, 25 minutes to cook up 15 pounds. Now, it don't come out looking all nice and pretty and straight, but it does the job. So, you know, we, we at some point at our peak of bacon season, we could have three of those pots going, you know, late into the evening just to be stockpiled for bacon the next day. So, yeah, it, it's, just, it's crazy. There's a barbecue place in Memphis that claims that they keep their grease and they recycle it. I mean, what are you doing with the excess grease? Do you, I guess the question is, do you have 80-year-old grease in those kettles, or are you cleaning that stuff out? No, no, we're cleaning that stuff out. That's, that, that all goes away. That all gets scrubbed up. You know, uh, bacon grease has got a short lifespan. We get about 60, what, about four cases or 60 pounds of bacon fried and then you got to change the oil out. It, it'll start. It'll start to smell. It'll, it'll get a little bit of a burnt taste to it. So we learned that early on that you got to you know change that oil about every sixty pounds. Why only Oscar Mayer? It used to be only Oscar Mayer until Oscar Mayer decided to stop making commercial packaged bacon because it was by far the best bacon out there. It held up to the way we cooked it. It was very consistent and the taste was great. And then they stopped. And then we ate 
a lot of different bacons. <laughs> we spent weeks eating samples of bacon because everybody wanted our bacon business because you were looking at, you know, at, at our peak, we were probably frying 22 to 25 tons of bacon, you know, and that's a lot of bacon. So uh, everybody wanted our business, so we ate a lot of bacon, fried a lot of bacon, and we finally narrowed it down to uh, about eight of them. We had a blind taste test over two days of all of us eating bacon, and we picked a couple, and um, we've kind of been with one consistently, and the other one, we've, we've just switched to a more localized uh, bacon out of uh, St. Joseph, Missouri, Daly's Bacon. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, bacon's an ever evolving thing with us because even now after this COVID-19, there's been a changeover in bacon and, you know, people have taken advantage of the situation where they've gotten rid of stuff and they've changed stuff and redeveloped stuff or whatever. So Daly's is probably our main bacon right now. John Morrell used to be the other main bacon, but we're in a process of trying to figure that out. So, so Miracle Whip, not mayonnaise? Yes, there's always Miracle Whip unless you ask for Hellman's. You know, if you want that, fine, we can do that. You know, it's, you know, whatever you prefer. When's the last time you talked to Andy Richmond? Oh, you know what? I haven't seen him since he left here after Best BLT, uh, at, at our best sandwich in America. Uh, he's a really nice guy, but it wasn't like, oh, hey, let's keep in contact. No, that's, that's, not, that's not who he is. He's, he's moved on to bigger and better things, and that's okay, you know, so – I know restaurants in town that really benefited from Triple D and what Guy Ferretti does. Did you see a big spike after you were you were second best sandwich in the country, right? Yeah, uh, second best in the Midwest region. All right, in the Midwest. So did you see a spike? Let me tell you. The, the, first, epi- the first one he did was man versus food. That was the five months and a half an hour. That's when it was, that was his first season. Nobody really knew who he was. So we were, you know, we were still pretty busy, but we weren't nothing like what we we became. After uh, after that episode of Man vs. Food, it took us six months for us to, you know, catch up to our asses because we were so far behind. We learned a lot then that we have to do things a little different. And then after the BLT episode, which was I think about two years later, we learned even more. <laughs> so it. It's great. You can usually count on a 10%, maybe 20% pop in business for the year because it's, you know, it carries over and people remember, people still come in. I saw that episode of man versus food or the best sandwich in America. And I'm like, that's like 10, 12 years ago. Now people still see him. God love reruns. <laughs> uh, but it can be huge, but it can also hurt restaurants because you know, it, if, you, if you don't figure it out, you know, people will get disappointed because the service isn't as good. The quality isn't as good. Um, it's just, you know, like, like Yogi Berra says, nobody goes there anymore because it's too crowded. Uh, <laughs> you know, I got at one point, I had people yell at me saying, stay off TV, will you? Because we like to come here, but it's so busy, we can't come in no more. You know, so not me, though. I'm a media whore. You know, I, free publicity, you got to make me shut up. <laughs> Ipso facto. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> uh, who's the cur- what's the current record for the Five Shake Challenge? Okay, the fastest is two minutes and 29 seconds spot held by a gentleman named Randy Santiel, who is from St. Charles. He did that uh, on live TV on uh, Channel 2 one morning. And the most is nine by a lady uh, who came in, and she 
She drank nine malts in just under 29 minutes and then sat on a sore for about two hours. We thought she might die, but she survived, thank God. Uh, but they're both professional eaters. These are not just random people that came in off the street. These people do this for some sort of living. What's Andy's best time? Oh, no. No, 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 no. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you the last time I drank a whole whole malt or shake. I'll drink a little bit of one, but I don't drink a lot of one. I, you know, I'll, there might be a little leftover in a can that I'll drink, but uh, no, I, I don't do that. That's crazy. And did I read that as much as you like the BLT, the Reuben may actually be your favorite? The Reuben's my favorite sandwich. Okay. Uh, it's just, it's just, I, I think it's a great Reuben. Um, you know, we use really good corned beef, good Swiss cheese, you know, uh, Fazio's rye bread, you know, and it, it's just, it's always been my favorite sandwich. So, you know, people love the BLT. We, we sell more BLTs in a day than all the other sandwiches combined. That's just, you know, that's just our reality. Going to give you a free plug. How much is your gourmet hot dog, your Frankfurter right now? How much on the menu? Oh, I don't know. Five something, I think. It's a quarter pound all beef Frank that we slice down the middle and fry and then, you know, put it on a bun for you and make it look fancy. So as somebody who just went to a reopened place that was once in Clayton and known for their onion rings, bought a hot dog for $9. So... I think I'm delivering and I'm coming downtown and I'm going to get my 550 hot dog from, from Crown Candy. Got to get the chili dog. That's the way to go. I, or, or get a bowl of chili and dunk the hot dog in it. That's the way to go for me. That's how I would get a hot dog. I get it with American cheese, maybe some bacon on there too, and then dunk it in the bowl of chili. And it's the best of both worlds. You get your chili and you get your hot dog and it's, just, it's delicious. I do like your chili, no beans. Yeah, you know, we, we've been using Edmund's Chili, who's been making our chili for, I don't longer than I've been on the face of the earth. You know, they used to be the ones who made O.T. Hodges Chili. You know, so, uh, you know, Mark takes good care of us, you know, and it's just, it's, it's, it's nothing fancy. It's just all meat. And, it, you know, it's just it's, it's a good chili. You know, I, I even eat it in the middle of summer, I'll, I'll have chili if I crave it. I'm a goofy sports guy. What is Bernie Miklas's favorite shake? Uh, Bernie's a, he's a traditionalist. I think he pretty much would go with like the chocolate or chocolate banana. Um, and he's a BLT guy. Uh, you know, he's, he's pretty straightforward when it comes to that. Nothing, nothing fancy or exotic. What's your favorite shake that you don't drink anymore? <laughs> um, I would go with a black cherry shake with hot fudge added to it. That, that is my, you know, guilty pleasure. You've had a lot of famous people through the restaurant. Anybody, you know, significantly stand out in your mind? Uh, Bill Murray came in when he was filming Larger Than Life here. Uh, it was a, people kept saying, has he been in? Has he been in? I'm like, no. And they were filming because of flooding. They had to move a location to uh, right down by Crowns at a junkyard by us. And I remember it was a Wednesday afternoon. I looked up. It was probably about 3, 3.30. And there he was in the front door. And I thought, wow, he's really tall. You know, and he, Came over and got a shake, and we, you know, we talked a little bit, and I gave him some candy and a T-shirt, and you know, he's like, you know, great place, really like it. He says, you know, if you get off work, and you want to come down and watch this film, we'll be down the street, you know, uh, you know, come on down. So, I thought, cool. Well, then he sent the guy up like half an hour later, says I want to buy a hundred shakes for the whole crew. So I spent two hours making uh, milkshakes for everybody, and then went down and met him down on set. You know, he was he was a really nice guy. He really was. Um, you know, we've we've had a lot of the um, 
food people come through that are just here, like Ina Garten was in. Was in. Um, you know, she was really nice. Uh, we've had a few other ones come through. I can't think of it right now at the top of my head. Um, but we're not that we're not that celebrity place like we used to be. You know, my dad used to, you know, get, they used to come in, like Marvin Hamlish came in, Carol Channing came in, Tony Curtis came in. You know, you have people like that, you know, friends of my father's who were in the, in the business would bring people by, you know, so, but we're not quite that. We're more of an everyman place nowadays. We're not that celebrity hangout or go-to spot. There's other people in town that get that, that claim to fame now. But during the summer, you still have a lot of people not from St. Louis who come to Crown Candy. Well, in a perfect world, we do. Uh, you know, when there's, you know, baseball season is huge for us because, you know, these weekend series, people come in from, you know, Southern Illinois or from Iowa or from up from Arkansas or over from, you know, you know, in Tennessee or whatever, they're Cardinals fans. And they'll come in and they'll come in for the weekend. And especially if they're families, you know, they, they're going to bring their kids up because the hotel people, the concierge is always taking good care of us. They point them in our direction because, you know, you got kids, you know, you can't take them to a bar. So you, you know, take them up to crowns and, and, and that, you know, that's huge. You know, we, we count on city museum. Uh, we were counting on the aquarium and the wheel, uh, you know, concerts and conventions and anything that draws people downtown, you know, so that typically is, huge for us all summer long even spring break we lost spring break this year we've lost summer this year we lost easter this year so this has been a year unlike anything we've ever seen but you know we're, we're persevering we're gonna we're gonna get the job done well, i love the spirit and i've spent a lot of time over the last five months not talking about covid because i didn't want to do 42 minutes and people 10 years from now hearing an episode that was 42 minutes about covid so we're, we're going to touch on it because I really appreciate your spirit. Before we get to that, a couple quick questions just so that we can document the Crown Candy story. When did you start taking credit cards? Um, I'm going to go with uh, around 2000, 1999, to right in there. That's a, that's a chunk. At the end of the day, that's a chunk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, at the time it was like you kind of had to start doing it because – we were starting to see more and more companies that would want to buy candy from us for Christmas and they wanted to pay with company credit cards. You know what they weren't, you know, and it was like, okay, so, you know, they wanted to have, you know, a company lunch and they, you know, had to put it on their charge account. So it was like, it was, it had to do it. It was, it was coming. So now I'd say we are averaging 80% of our sales, are credit card, debit card sales. And it's just the way of the world. Um, you know, nobody carries money no more. It makes me a little bit crazy that you don't have $4 or $3 to buy a bag of candy or an ice cream cone or whatever. But, hey, you know what? I I, I got to pay the fees because I, I got to get the people to spend money with me. How's catering been during this mess? Well, we don't we don't cater per se. We'll do large lunch orders. You know, we'll, we'll have people call in 20, 25, 30 sandwiches, you know, so and they'll, come, they'll come down and pick it up for the whole office or for, you know, the factory or whatever. Um, that's been good. That's really been strong for us, you know, especially the, uh, you know, the curbside pickup or the, you know, the call in orders in general. Um, it's been a definite shift to people being more comfortable with getting their food and going somewhere else and, and eating, you know, whether it's back in their car or back at home or back in their office, you know, some people just aren't comfortable in the dining rooms yet, but, uh, 
uh, yeah, Carryout has evolved into you know a much bigger chunk of our business than it used to be. How's online? Online sales typically peak at Christmas. You need 20 boxes sent out to your, your customers or to your family or to whatever. That is the big deal was Christmas. And Sherry had probably a really strong Christmas this year, shipping more candy than ever, you know, whether it was personal, you know, gifts for family and friends or whether it was corporate accounts setting up, you know, a couple hundred boxes to all their, you know, clients and customers and, you know, have not. So, uh, it was good. Easter came along and we count on Easter. It's, it's our bellwether for the whole year. Well, Easter kind of evaporated because of this whole, you know, COVID-19 thing. So we did as much as we could and Sherry put everything she could onto the website and she shipped out 1,100 packages two weeks before Easter. Uh, the weather was still cooperating. So we got to ship a lot of candy and people, people, saw we were doing that and realized they needed to get their Easter candy. So they, they really stepped up and did a lot of order. And we did a bunch of curbside, but curbside is hard because, well, what kind of Easter bunnies do you have? Well, how big are they? Well, what do they look like? Well, what do the eggs look like? Well, what, so you can't take an order in five minutes. You know, you, it took you 15 minutes to walk them through everything. So that just wasn't efficient. We got it done. Trust me, I had people calling my personal cell phone just so we could keep the lines going. Uh, but it was huge at Easter. It, it didn't make Easter what it should be, but at least it helped us pay our bills. So, you know, we definitely took a huge hit there. And now we're looking, I'm already looking at Christmas again. I'm like, you know, we got to, we got to play Christmas up even bigger this year. You know, and hopefully it, it'll be strong and, It'll be another thing to carry us through the end of this year. What's the earliest people can order for Christmas? Well, if you're looking at sizable orders, we start, you know, telling people you need to start thinking about that in October because we need to start thinking about how much chocolate do we got to make. So I don't mind scrambling. That means I'm busy, but I, you know, the more, the better prepared I am, the happier I am. I don't tend to be crabby, uh, you know, getting up at four o'clock and wearing to have to go dip chocolate for 10 hours. But, uh, yeah, well, you know, people should start thinking about it in late October and get those orders in in November so that we can have you on the books so we can get the orders packed up and wrapped up and shipped out and it's all taken care of. So uh, obviously we we can't do anything until Mother Nature cooperates when it comes to shipping in general because if it's 95 degrees outside, those brown trucks get awful warm. So chocolate does not travel well. What's the farthest you've ever shipped an order? Um... People have sent it to, I guess we've sent it to uh, Japan, we've sent to Europe. Uh, I've had people carry stuff back uh, as far as away as Australia, but not shipping, they've taken it back with them. Um, but mostly it's all over the continental United States. That's the easiest and, you know, because it gets expensive once packages leave the continental United States. Got a small kitchen, don't have a fryer. Have you ever looked into an air fryer? No. I like mine. No. <laughs> I have to have an air fryer the size of a small pickup truck to cook enough french fries for everybody to make them happy. No. <laughs> uh, 1999, you pissed off Sherry and you went from Coke to Pepsi. Uh, I, actually, I actually pissed off my father the most because he's a Coke man. He didn't drink another soda and crowns 
after that day. 18 months of bad service. I called Pepsi up and said, hey, I got this problem here with my soda. And they were down that day. And within uh, 10 days, they had all the old Coke stuff out, uh, equipment out, and they had all their new stuff in. And I've been with Pepsi ever since. I'm not going to switch unless you give me a reason. I won't just say, oh, you should sell Coke. Well, I'm, I sell Pepsi and they take care of me until they give me a reason to kick them out. It'll be Pepsi. So people are like, why do you have all this Coke stuff and sell Pepsi? Because poor service doesn't, you know, get you my business. Can you imagine if you're the Coke salesperson and you lose crown candy as an account? That's a, that's oh. a rough week. Oh, I'm sure. Cause I'm, as soon as I said I'm switching, I couldn't get rid of them for the, you know, for about a month and a half, two months, they all kept coming in trying to get back in. I said, that ship has sailed. I said, I'm not going to just all of a sudden go right back to you guys. Uh, uh, you know, and once a year they send the new guy down and he, you know, he talks to me about, you know, you know, if you, if you, if you ever want to switch, let us know. But until Pepsi gives me a reason, I'm not going nowhere. All right. So at the time of this interview, it is July 20th, 2020. To say you've had a challenging year is a huge understatement. In February, a couple punks go through your front door. Then you've got a guy or gal who runs over your fences and almost takes out part of the restaurant. You got to be thinking, when, the, when those two things are over, you're good to go. <laughs> I never think that. I don't ever try to get too happy because that's when the piano falls out of the sky on top of me. No, no. Uh, I just take it all in stride and deal with it. You know, it's 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 just part of life. You know, we you know we all deal with stuff, and that was my stuff all within you know a couple of weeks of each other. You know, so it, you know I thought that this is the worst I got to deal with. It's okay. <laughs> well, you know, obviously that changed in uh, mid March when we all got hit with this COVID nineteen stuff. So, Andy has a restaurant owner. There's no wrong answer to this, but how do you go, I got to stay in business, but I got to keep my customers healthy. I have an, a, a responsibility for my employees. How does that all get through your head where you come to a decision? I, I, I'm not good at this. I, I don't know if I would have been able to come up with something fast and clean and thought it to be the right decision. Well, you know, after... Easter weekend, we shut it down. That was it. We closed the dining room. We just shut it down. We weren't doing curbside. We weren't doing nothing. We were basically shut down for a month, you know, and we were cleaning and doing stuff and not doing nothing. And, and Sherry, I'm going to go back to my wife because she's the one who's organized and has that clean vision, whereas I'm a little more scattered sometimes. She had an idea of how to do this, how to make things work, how, to, how the flow of we're going to do this. And, and we put it in place and we got, you know, the employees trained up because now you got to realize we're all, we're all lifers here for the most part. So we've all been doing the same thing the same way for a very long time. I've got people that have been here over 40 years as long as I have. I've got people who've been here, you know, in 30 years, uh, 20 years, 15 years. So we all do everything in the same way. So we all kind of had to uh, adapt a little bit to the new way of doing things. Uh, I don't know. Some places are better at doing it than others because it's the way they're set up. We have one entry point, so it's kind of a choke point for everybody. So we have to manage that. But once we got it figured out, 
and we, you know, worked out the kinks and the, you know, the, all the stuff. It's pretty good. I think we're doing okay with it. I mean, I'm not happy with having to work the way I work, but it is, it's just our new reality for now. And basically my job has become, and Sherry's job has become, and my sister-in-law, Nancy, we all are kind of the, the greeters slash door people who meet you at the door and kind of control the flow of who's coming in and out of the restaurant, whether you're waiting for a table or whether you're waiting to get a to-go order or whether you need a place at to-go order. So it's a whole different job that we had to kind of create. You know, you can call it a mater d, you can call it a traffic cop or whatever you want to call it, you know, and because you could have a hundred signs on your front door and people aren't going to read a single one of them. And, you know, that's just every day and that's everywhere I go. So we just deal with it. I do follow you on Twitter. I'm a mask guy. What goes through your head when somebody's walking into your restaurant and they don't have a mask on? I don't know if they're just completely clueless because it's just not something they do on a regular basis. I mean, I have to wear it every day at work. All of us, all the employees, you know, it's just, I get to the point where I forget to take it off because I'm just used to wearing it. And I give people the benefit of a doubt that they just maybe kind of forgot to put it on. They will, we'll, we'll nicely remind them that they need to wear a mask. And, and, you know, some people will be like, well, I don't have a mask. I'm like, well, then we'll happily give you one. You know, uh, I'm not going to, be wrestling on the sidewalk with you over the fact that you don't want to wear a mask and you think I'm an idiot or I think you're an idiot because you don't want to wear a mask. This is our reality. And whether you are pro or anti or whatever, we all got to do this because we got to get this figured out because it's going to be a bumpy road this fall and winter for a lot of places. It's going to be, it's going to get ugly, I think. Can you give me a positive that has come out from the COVID? Um, I just think that for the most part, people have come together and, you know, the support for the local places I think has been great. Uh, you know, it's hard when you kind of compete with chain restaurants, whether they've got drive throughs or free delivery or this or that, you know, I think people have been made more aware of support your local places. You know whether it's carry out or dine in or whatever it's i think that's that's one of the biggest thing is the community's turned out for all of us in general uh, and then we've also learned new ways to do business like us uh, the hugest positive for us is we've learned a new way to sell candy more effectively more efficiently uh for the big holiday seasons so we're going to implement that strategy for christmas and for valentine's and for easter have people buy the candy online, pay for it online, and then they can come in and have lunch and we can bring it right to their table. They can get their candy and they can go. Because at Easter time, sometimes you're waiting 30, 40 minutes to buy Easter bunnies because there's 20 people ahead of you and it's jam packed up there. Now they can go on the website, they'll be able to buy the candy, pay for it, and then we'll bring it, give us your name and your order number and we'll give it to you right there at the table. And, Hopefully, we'll uh, increase sales and relieve congestion at the front of the store. Fantastic. Maybe last question for Andy Candy. I got a pet peeve, right? So, I live in Vanilla, West County, and I'm always just amazed at how these young people hate their jobs when I go through a drive-thru 
or I'm sitting down at a restaurant. It's like, man, for $14 an hour, go find something that doesn't make you miserable. I've never been in Crown Candy and had anybody have that kind of an attitude. They love working there. You've been doing this for 40 plus years. I got to think not to put words in your mouth, but how much fun it must be to take Susie or Johnny as a high school person and see them develop into a contributing, awesome human being. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the best things about this because a lot of these kids, this is their very first jobs. They're, they've never had a job before. We're hiring them when they're you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. And you know, it's great. Don't get me wrong. I've got plenty of great kids. You know, I've got a few knuckleheads that we've dealt with over the years that, you know, it's like, well, you know, you're just not cut out for this business and that's okay. Uh, but yeah, it's, I'm always happy that they're going to go on to bigger and better things, but I'm also sad because when I lose a good employee, it's like, Oh my God, you know, we're losing another one of the good ones, but it's, it's all good, you know, and, and it's, 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 we're all family and, you know, it's, you know, we might all want to kill each other in the middle of all the craziness, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, it, it, we're family. We take care of each other. We, we, we let it go and we get up and do it again the next day and we'll all laugh and have a great time. And, you know, and it, it's just, it's just our life. That's for a lot of us. It is literally our lives. So here is the final question I just thought of. You're going to have a golden ticket contest when you decide it's time to retire. Wow. Time to retire. Um, I don't know if that's in my makeup to retire. I don't know if I can physically stop being here in some way or another. There's no golden ticket. There's a couple people here that I can identify as having the uh, right makeup, mentally tough to want to do this business for a long time. So um, it won't be somebody with the same last name as us, but it will be, uh, there's a couple people that I think will be able to keep driving this bus when and if I either retire or just, you know, drop dead in a puddle of chocolate. <laughs> a glorious way to end it all, right? Exactly. <laughs> all right, man. Well, at O2 with Oliver, you can't have the idea of documenting important people, places, and things in St. Louis, if you don't talk about Crown Candy, I know you've got so many more important things to do, but I appreciate your time, and I had a blast doing it. I hope you did, too. It, loved it. Yeah. I mean, this is you know, awesome. Once again, this is normally something you'd be sitting down in a booth with me, and we'd be having this conversation, but you know, this is great. It's, it gives me a chance to do this, and you to reach out to me. Yeah. Uh, thank you for uh, having me on. Rock and roll, man. Awesome. Take care. And another one for the books. Don't forget, you can catch Andy St. Louis 7 on YouTube. The channel is OT with Oliver. That's where you can catch all the other 7s. We got folks like J.C. Corcoran, Jackie Smith, Art Holiday, and Thursday's guest, St. Louis businessman Chuck Jackson. In that one, we get off the beaten path a little bit, talk about the current issues in St. Louis and in the country, what we're going through. If you want to stay up to speed on new episodes and VIP information, just click subscribe right now wherever you are hearing this. As we do. 
Thanks for your time, this time, till next time, so long.